Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Point family. If you guys got your Bibles, head over to Philippians chapter four. That's gonna be this morning. Philippians chapter four. And hey, while you guys are turning there, there's something that we would be crazy not to celebrate. Compared to the same time last year, guys, we have about a thousand new people gathering with us every week. Can we celebrate that? That's right, man. It's amazing. All of our campuses, let's do that right now. And we wanna celebrate that. At the same time, I just wanna make a challenge to you if you are new with us. Uh, What I wanna say is, man, we are not just an audience that watches a show together once a week. We're a spiritual family that loves and encourages each other towards Christ. And so what I want you to consider doing is uh, visiting our Next Steps class. Um, That's where we help you take your next steps with Christ and learn what it means to follow him and uh, all those things. And that's also the place where you can go if you're interested in membership. So if you'll just grab your Connect card and then just check the box that says attend the Next Steps class, we'll get you all the information you need and that will be amazing, all right? Well, here's where we are this week. We are in the last week of a series that we're just calling Seven Words to Change Your Life. And these are words that if we master these words, they really will. They'll change our relationship with God and they'll change our lives. And the word we're hitting this week, it's a little different. It's not one we'd really think of. It's the word enough. And what I wanna say is just kind of illustrate this. If we don't master the ability to say enough, that's enough. They can actually be fatal in our lives. So I want you to think about this, a couple of illustrations. So if you take a goldfish in a bowl and you pour an unlimited amount of food in that bowl, that goldfish will actually eat itself to death. Do you know why? Well, it's not smart enough to know when to say enough. Okay, I'll, I'll give you another one. When I was a kid, I had a friend named Jason who had a pet turtle. And before going on vacation, he poured a lot of a uh, big box of turtle food in the box, and the turtle, when he came back, was dead again because it didn't know when to say enough. Now, let me give you a human illustration. Um, every Friday, I take my two daughters on our, we call it our daddy-daughter donut date at Dunkin' Donuts. That's what we call it. <laughs> And uh, what we do is I get them a donut, and they're also, they are allowed to order as many hash browns as they want, okay? Now, my youngest daughter, Felicity, has not yet mastered the word enough, so this is a recent picture of Felicity after her hash browns on a donut date, okay? There you go. That's it. See that? See, if, if we don't, now that, your soul can look like that too. If we don't master the word enough, well then we'll never be able to really enjoy God and we'll spend our entire lives in an endless pursuit of something that can't actually fulfill us, all right? So what we wanna do this week is we wanna look at what's the secret of what we're gonna call contentment, a soul that says, I've got enough, all right? So we're gonna do that in Philippians chapter four. Pick up with me in verse 10, and here we go. Philippians four, pick up with me in verse 10. Paul says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be, there's that word content, a soul that says I have enough. Whatever the circumstances, so watch this, whatever the circumstances, slow Wi-Fi, 
shipwrecks, whatever it is, Paul's learned to be content in every circumstance. And watch this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've been in a Hyundai, I've been in a Lexus. We've had Tom Landry, we've had Wade Phillips, you know, all those things. <laughs> I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, that's important, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Another way to say that, your Bibles may say, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that is one of the most misused verses in the Bible. So can I start just by saying what that word doesn't mean? Can I do that? Um, when I was a kid, you know, let me start here. I've been in a lot of gyms in a lot of places. Philippians 4.13 is on the wall of a lot of gyms under a picture of a guy benching about 320. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, I can bench 320, okay? Well, that's not what that verse means. When I was a kid, uh, I saw Spud Webb win the dunk competition in the NBA. He was 5'7". And I thought, wow, that means I could be in the NBA someday. And so sure enough, you know, went out in the yard and practiced and I thought, man, this is my verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Guys, you know what I've discovered? Is it no matter, matter how many Bible verses I claim or how many prayers I pray, the NBA does not need short white guys that can't jump or shoot. That's what I figured it out. That's just how it, how it works. So that, that's not what this verse means. This verse isn't about achievement. It's about contentment. Okay, this, this, so this verse isn't about you being able to bench 320. It's about you being able to sing in a jail cell. Enough, okay? Now, what Paul says is, I've learned the secret of being content in any situation. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying that contentment, the secret to contentment is understanding it's not situational. Contentment is a, not a situation, it's a state, okay? And I'll, I'll give you an example of this. So I'm a beach guy. If you were to ask me, Josh, where will you be most content? I go to Gulf Shores every year with my family and I'd say, man, get me on that beach, Put me in a chair with my feet in the water, ESPN radio blasting in my ears, drink in my hand, my kids playing, sun on my face, I'll be content all is well. But here's what I figured out. The problem with that is, the second some dude from Ohio starts blasting bro country right next to me, I lose my mind. <laughs> See, what happened is, because that's situational. No, we'll never be able to stay on that. See, contentment is not a situation, it's a state. I'll give you another example of this. I ran across two articles in the Wall Street Journal recently that prove this, all right? Now, the first one, it was called Retired and Restless. Track with me. It talked about how there's a movement towards working retirements. It says people who live their whole lives thinking they wanted the endless weekend are finding that the life of leisure for which they've spent years preparing, it's actually the last thing they really want. Article goes on to describe the sadness of all these people that spent their whole lives thinking that would be the thing that would make them content. And then they get there and they actually find themselves more restless. Told, told this story about one guy that started an organization to put retirees back to work and he had 13,000 applicants in just this first little short period of time, many of them chief executives. Now interesting, the people with the best situation had the lowest satisfaction. See, contentment, it's not a situation, it's a state. Now, the other one, the other article, it was called, Don't Envy the Super Rich, They're Miserable. That's what it said. And what it did is this article, it interviewed people with a net worth of at least $25 million or more, and it found that they're actually more miserable than the average person. Now, this is a quote from somebody in the article that was interviewed. They said, if we can just get people more informed so that they understand that having 20 million or 200 million won't bring them all that they'd hoped for. Now, let me interject here and say, that's a problem I'm willing to deal with. If somebody wants to, yeah, let me just say that. He said, maybe they'd concentrate on things instead that can make them truly happy. 
The article said that the respondents turned out actually uh, they, to be very dissatisfied people who, whose money contributed to deep anxieties involving love, relationships, family. Indeed, they're frequently dissatisfied with their sizable fortunes, the article said. They don't even consider themselves financially stable. On average, the, the person in the article said they needed 25% more money to feel like they had enough. Now, can I just point this out to you? These are people who can say, I never have to work again. These are people who can say, I can have anything I want. They can say, my whole life is a vacation. Do you know what apparently they can't say? I have enough. Do you know why? Because contentment is not a situation, it's a state. Can I say something to you just in a very direct way? Guys, you can never, you can be satisfied with your money or with your house or with your friends or with your job, but you can never be satisfied in those things. Let me just say it to you this way. Until Jesus is enough for you, nothing else will be. And let me just say, I am so glad, so glad that contentment doesn't come from a situation. Do you know why? Because stock markets rise and fall. Salaries go up and down, friends come and go. Ladies, look at your grandma. Skin wrinkles and gravity wins, okay? <laughs> go watch this. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what that means, that's right. What that means is that we can be content no matter what's happening. Now here's the secret. He said this happens through Christ. Now that means you gotta get your eyes off, watch this, off of other people and onto Christ if you're gonna be content. Do you realize what's underneath most of the discontentment in your life? It's pride that fuels comparison which leads to the death of contentment. Pride causes comparison which leads to the death of contentment. Now, if you're not track with me, uh, so let me go here. C.S. Lewis pointed this out years ago. And here's what C.S. Lewis said about pride. He said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We sometimes say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but then he said, but they're not. What they are is they're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than other people. Okay, now if this doesn't make sense, let me give a, a real close to home example. When they were both in the Big, T Big 12, think about this. UT fans don't care as much that their fans are good, they care if they're better than A&M. A&M doesn't care as much if they're good as long as they beat UT. And watch this, tech fans, they don't care if they're good as long as they beat either UT or A&M. <laughs> and obviously we should all be tech fans since Jesus said the last will be first. You know, that's just how, there you go, that's it. <laughs> you can send the angry emails to steve.stroop at lakepoint.org. You can do that right there. Now, this is, so what this means, guys, a comparison, it kills contentment. Think about your own life. You are fine with the shoes that you have, ladies, until you log on to social media and you see, but she's got more shoes than Zappos. You see, your, your Friday night was okay until you logged on to social media and you saw, wait, they got together and I wasn't invited. I compared my night to theirs. You loved your job until you saw that he got that job. Let me be really personal here for a second. My job causes me to work on the weekends. I work Saturday and Sunday. Sometimes to be, I, get, uh, I get envy comparing my weekend to yours. You post all these pictures. We're at the, the lake, we're at the beach, we're at the game. And honestly, this bitterness rises in me where sometimes I say, fine, I'll serve God while you serve the devil. You know, kind of that kind of thing. <laughs> Somebody's gotta do it. But what happens is that that's why comparison, it kills contentment. You've gotta get your eyes off other people and on to Jesus if you're ever gonna feel like you have enough. 
See, this is why the apostle Paul was so impossible to deal with, because the only thing he cared about was having Jesus. Think about the apostle Paul's life. If you say to the apostle Paul, hey Paul, we're gonna throw you in prison, he says, okay, I'm gonna convert your guards. If you say to Paul, hey Paul, we're gonna kill you, he says, all right, to die is gain. You say to Paul, all right, hey Paul, we're gonna torture you, he says, okay, well I do not consider that the sufferings of this present age are worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed in me. You say, fine, we're gonna let you live. He says, great, to live is Christ. You know, it's like, whatever you say to Paul, you, you just can't get him off this satisfaction because his eyes are totally on Jesus. Now here's how this works, guys, watch this. When our happiness is sourced by anything but Christ, it's impossible to get. When it's sourced by Christ, it's impossible to lose. And God does not want you to be sourced by something that cannot supply. Yeah, can I explain something to you really quick? Some of you are in a season right now where it feels like there's some things being taken from your life. It's financial trouble, relational trouble, uh, family trouble. Can I explain what's happening to you from this passage? Let me explain this. One of my favorite old preacher stories, it's called the, the story of the two lumberjacks, and it goes like this. Once upon a time, two lumberjacks were commissioned to cut down a forest, and they walked out into a field. And as they looked up at the very first tree, they saw a bird nesting in the top of the tree, so they turned their ax to the flat part facing the tree, and they began to beat on the trunk to make it shake until it scared the bird and the bird flew to the next tree. So then they moved to the next tree and they shook it till the bird moved away. And in their compassion, they followed it to the next tree and the next tree and the next. Until eventually that bird took nest in the rock. And when they saw that it took nest in the rock, they knew that it was safe and they left it alone. Now can I explain something to you? Some of you are in a season where you're having some shaking in your life, financial trouble, relational trouble, family trouble. Do you understand what's happening? What God might be doing right now is in his great love for you, he's rattling those trees to show you that there's no eternal satisfaction in a person, in money, or the approval of people, and he's driving you to hide yourself in the rock of ages cleft for thee. That's what God is doing because he loves you. One of my favorite Bible scholars says this, behind a frowning providence there lies a smiling face. You see, what you have to understand is that you'll never feel content, not only you have to feel like you have enough, but watch this, you also, according to Philippians 4, you have to feel like you are enough for everything that God's called you to do. You know, can I show you one of my favorite truths in the whole Bible? Do you guys remember way back in Exodus 20, when God first revealed himself to Moses? And you remember he revealed himself when Moses was scared, and he said, Moses, here's my name. My name is Yahweh. Now, Yahweh, all that means is I am. And I am, it's not really a name. It's just the name God uses for himself whenever his people were in a time of great need. And then he would attach that name to whatever it was his people lacked and whatever it was he planned to apply, uh, supply in himself. What he, he was saying, God was saying, my I amness overcomes your I am notness. God uses that name, I am, 6,519 times in the Old Testament. What he's saying, anytime in your Bible where you see an all caps, L-O-R-D, Lord, the all caps, that's a symbol that God is using that name, I am. And all throughout the Bible, God shows, I will make up for whatever deficiency you have. So, so watch this, here's how this works. In Exodus, when the people of Israel were wounded and sick because of their sin, God revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, literally, I am your healer. In Leviticus, when Moses laid out the law, the great description of how to walk uprightly with God, the people said, who could ever live this way? And God answered, I am Jehovah Mekodeshkim. I am your sanctifier, the God who enables you to walk with me. When Jeremiah was discouraged by Israel's persistent inability to walk faithfully before God, and they said, how can we survive? We're so sinful. God said, I am Jehovah Tzidkenu. I am your righteousness. 
in Ezekiel's day when the people of Israel felt scared, alone, and surrounded by enemies. God said, I am Jehovah Shema. I am the God who is ever present. When David felt lost and confused with no friends left in the world, he called God Jehovah Ra, I am your shepherd. To Abraham, who faced an impossible circumstance with no seeming way out, God said, I am Jehovah Jireh, I'm your provider. And to Isaiah, who wasn't sure how he'd be able to survive another day, God said, I'm Jehovah Sabaoth, I am God, your defender, who fights for you. And then in the New Testament, Jesus takes the I am name and he applies it to himself and he applies it to every area of our greatest brokenness and need. To everyone who hungers, he says, I'm the bread of life. To those who thirst, he says, I'm living water. To those in darkness, Jesus declares, I'm the light. To everybody who needs a fresh start, he says, I'm the door. To you who feel abandoned, he says, I'm the good shepherd. To the lost, Jesus says, I'm the way. To the confused, he says, I'm the truth. To the afraid, he's, uh, the people afraid of death, he says, I am the life. You see, his I amness overcomes your I am notness. So you might be here today and you may say, God, I can't be a good parent. He says, but I can. You may say, God, I can't make it. He says, I can. You may say, I'm so doubtful. He says, but I'm so faithful. You may say, God, I'm so dysfunctional. He says, but I'm so complete. You may say, I'm so deficient. He says, yeah, but I'm so sufficient. You may say, I am so sinful, but he says, yeah, but I'm so graceful. You see, everything you are not, Christ is. And so through him, you can do all things. God is... He is sufficient for everything that you are not. So through Christ, you have enough and you are enough. So to the never-ending temptations of this world to live for more, 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 you can say, hey, that's enough. I've got enough. Now, can I be really practical with you here for a second? Let me be really, really practical. Some of you, you, you need to take some very serious, very specific steps on how to do this this week. Number one, what some of you need to do is the most spiritual thing you could do this week is take a step to kill the comparison in your life. For some of you, there's social media feeds you need to unfollow. There's magazines that you need to unsubscribe from. There's channels you need to stop watching because all it does is fuel comparison in your life that kills your ability to say, man, I'm content in Jesus and I have enough. That might be the most spiritual thing you do this week. Now watch this. Here's another one. Some of you, what you need to do is you need to embrace God's limits on your life. Have you ever noticed all throughout the Bible when God gives limits, he's not just doing that to get us to give him his firsts. He's doing that so that we'll learn that he's enough. When he gives us the tithe, he's trying to teach us, hey, to be able to say 90% of my income's enough. When he gives us the Sabbath, he's teaching us to be able to say, hey, six days worth of work and achievement, that's enough. And sometimes what we think is that when we get more, then we'll be able to say that's enough. It's not true. Let me give you an example. Uh, there's a story from somebody in our church. I'm gonna call him Bill, who when Bill was making, he told me this story about him and Pastor Steve. When he was making a lot less money, Bill began tithing, took that hard step. And then God began to bless and increase what he was doing. And he reached this spot where he was making about four times more than he was when he first took that step of faithfulness. And he grabbed Pastor Steve in the lobby here at the Rockwall campus. And he said, hey, Pastor Steve, when I was making a lot less, it was easier for me to tithe. And now that I'm making so much more, it just seems weird to give away this much money. And he said, in that moment, Pastor Steve reached out and touched him on the shoulder. He said, Bill, can I pray for you? And he bowed his head and he said, dear Heavenly Father, would you please decrease Bill's income back to the spot where he feels comfortable being faithful? Do you see that? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You see, that's what we think is that when we get more, then we'll feel we have enough and then we'll be able to embrace God's limits. That's not how it works, guys. What happens is we need to embrace God's limits and then God will pour out the blessing of his spirit on our lives and we'll be able to feel that we have enough. Now, here's the last one and this is very personal for me. Something you need to do is you need to what I call Jacob this verse. 
You guys remember in the Old Testament when God appeared to Jacob in the book of Genesis at Bethel? And he appeared in the form of a person. He began to wrestle with Jacob. And Jacob stretched out his hand and he grabbed the ankle of God and he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And what I think is that in a Christian's life, sometimes we have to learn to Jacob a Bible verse. When it doesn't feel real in our hearts, we don't feel content in every circumstance. We don't feel like we have enough. We have to reach out and grab that verse by the ankle and say, I will not let you go until you bless me. And we make that our life verse. You need it on a note card. You need it on your bathroom mirror. You need it on your dashboard. Some of you need to have that in your life everywhere right now. I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you hold on to that verse by the ankle and you say, I will not let you go until you bless me, until God makes it real in your heart. And then God will use his word to give you a sense of his sufficiency and you'll feel you have enough in him. Now what I wanna do is I wanna pray that God will begin to do that in your life like right now. And so would you bow your heads and close your eyes and would you open your heart to the Spirit? Would you just open your heart to the Spirit? And Holy Spirit, I ask that right now you would begin to give us an overwhelming sense of your enoughness. God, you are our portion and if we have you and lose everything else, you're enough for us. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for being enough. Give us an increasing sense of your goodness, your satisfaction in our lives, what you make us, what we are in you, that you truly do, your I amness makes up for every ounce of our I am notness. You are Yahweh, you are I am. And so Father, we love you. We give ourselves to you afresh. Thank you, God, for your crucified and risen son. We pray that in the name of a risen Lord Jesus who is enough for us, amen and amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.